Hello, and welcome to Skilled America, a podcast devoted to the policies, politics, and people driving the discussion on skills in today's economy. I'm your host, Rachel Unruh, Chief of External Affairs at National Skills Coalition. This is Episode 5, The Digital Learning Divide. Many job training and adult education programs at community-based nonprofit organizations and community colleges have had to move to digital learning to respond to COVID-19. But that transition has been complicated by the inequities in digital infrastructure, access, and literacy faced by program participants, as well as by the instructors tasked with creating new learning environments. We talked to two people dealing with those challenges in very different parts of the country to find out how they're adapting and what their students need as they navigate their education in the face of a global pandemic. Uh, my name is Jerry Rubin. I'm president and CEO of Jewish Vocational Service in Boston. Uh, JVS was founded in 1938, actually, to help Jewish refugees from Europe and um, those who were here dealing with the Great Depression to learn English, gain skills, and good, get good jobs. Uh, today, we're the largest workforce development organization in the region. Uh, we provide services to about 15,000 or more, uh, mostly low-income workers every year, um, as well as others, uh, still doing the same kind of work, helping people to improve their education and skills and get family-sustaining jobs. I started my job uh, a little more than 13 years ago, and six months after I took the position, the bottom fell out of the market, mm. and we started the Great Recession. So. I've had this experience before of a rapidly changing job market. Well, given how rapidly things have changed, both in terms of um, sort of how everybody is able to live their daily life and in terms of the economy, how are you, like your staff, your volunteers and your clients doing right now? Uh, the staff is doing quite well, all things considered. I've been inspired by how my colleagues and how the whole organization has uh, really risen to the occasion. You know, our clients are really struggling um, with health challenges and economic impacts, uh, growing number of layoffs, and a lot of uh, very immediate needs like food, housing, uh, and tremendous uh, economic anxiety. So uh, it's been hard, I think, for our clients. It's been really, really hard. Low-income workers who make up the vast majority of our clients are having a really tough time. You know, they typically don't and can't work remotely. They don't have um, uh, a lot of financial cushion. Many of them who are working continue to work. And many of our clients, frankly, were the first ones to lose their jobs, particularly in the hospitality industry and uh, also in other services industry. Uh, but uh, more specifically, uh, more than half of our clients are immigrants. Um, and they face uh, really significant challenges, particularly uh, because many of them are frontline healthcare workers. So there are real health risks within the uh, immigrant uh, population. You also have undocumented workers, and they're probably the most vulnerable group that we see. They're, they don't make up a huge part of our client base because we're, we're um, working mostly with um, unemployment issues. Um, but we do provide some services to undocumented workers and they, you know, they've got no safety net. They have mm -hmm. nothing. 
And that that's really a big challenge for them. The stay-at-home order for your state went into effect in March. What steps did you take to respond to what was happening and, and what did it look like? Yeah, well, it happened really fast. We did three things pretty quickly. Uh, one, we, we had to move the, the enterprise uh, to be in remote mode. We also um, moved all our... Uh, our classes, we run a wide range of education and training classes from a very low level um, English for employment to high level college uh, transition and uh, college bridge classes. Uh, we moved all of our uh, classes and coaching uh, online. Uh, now about 80% of our classes are <clears throat> running remotely and about 85% of our clients are engaged in classes and remote coaching. And then uh, the last uh, piece of it, the last step, uh, we created and stood up uh, what we're calling a remote talent portal. uh, And that will allow anyone who is uh, in need of filing for unemployment insurance or who is um, looking for another job. So focusing on uh, reemployment can reach us uh, remotely through our website where we have live chat um, they can create a, an appointment with a career coach online and then go into um, our applicant tracking system. And employers can post positions with us and do recruit, live recruiting through the portal um, with our staff. The great irony of all this is we had just started a three-year technology investment project. Uh, in fact, we're in the middle of a search for a chief technology officer. So, of course, if it, if it happened a year from now, we would have been um, a little better prepared. Um, But what this meant for us was that a lot of things that we had been starting, it just accelerated it all. To some degree, we took a year's worth of work and compressed it into two weeks. And, uh, you know, that it was a little raggedy, as you can imagine. It wasn't as, as, you know, laid out as all you would want it to be. Um, But in a crisis like this, it tends to accelerate things. And, a lot of that um, that we've been doing in the last couple of weeks, or m- most of it, will will continue even well beyond um, this health crisis. This is these are things that we've been wanting to put in place for a long time. So my name is Trevi Hardy, and I manage an English as a second language and a career pathways program at College of Western Idaho. CWI serves about thirty thousand students in the southwestern part of the state, across ten mostly rural counties. We have academic transfer, career and technical, workforce development, and basic skills programs here at the college. I work in the basic skills education program where we have about 2,600 students in those 10 counties. I personally manage the English as a Second Language program in Ada County. Ada County is one of the more rural counties in the state, and our program serves immigrants and refugee background students. And those students have a range of prior literacy and formal educational backgrounds. We have about 100 of those students in workforce training programs that are connected to basic skills education. How are you and your colleagues doing right now? And how are you coping with COVID-19 and and the impact it's had? For me personally and for my colleagues, it's been difficult, like it has been for people across the country. And there are certainly personal impacts to all of us. We're concerned about our students, about their health, most importantly, but also about their employment and their loss of access to classes and skills training. 
So let's talk about some of the challenges um, in the work that you're trying to continue um, through the pandemic. There are several challenges and probably most of them are connected in some way to digital access. So our instructors in basic skills education and English as a second language don't have access to the kind of learning tools that other faculty in our college have. Things like um, Blackboard or Canvas applications. Our students didn't receive the kinds of alerts about class closures. Um, they don't have access to Blackboard or Collaborate. And so our teachers are trying to kind of piece together different applications to be able to deliver online classes. Um, they're having to contact students by phone and by text um, one at a time. So I think that that digital access piece is probably our biggest challenge. But beyond the scramble to stay in contact with their students is the struggle for CWI's instructors to adapt to a new teaching environment without the training necessary to facilitate learning. Our instructors didn't really have adequate prior experience in delivering online instruction. So now they're kind of trying to learn the tools at the same time as they're learning new instructional approaches. And at the same time, they're trying to help students adjust to learning those new, new tools. So that's just a lot of change to manage all at once. And then they're doing that all on top of personal and family challenges. So a lot of them have children at home that they're trying to help navigate online classes um, that our public school system has moved to. So they're dealing with bandwidth problems, I guess you could say figurative and literal bandwidth problems. Not to mention a lack of digital access themselves. Some of them don't really have adequate devices like laptops with cameras and microphones to be able to deliver synchronous online classes. One of our teachers was using a laptop that um, she used for her other full-time job, day job, and she was using that laptop because it had a camera and a microphone to connect to her students for synchronous learning through Zoom. When she was furloughed from her job, she had to turn that laptop back in, and so she lost the ability to deliver online classes. So some of them haven't been able to move at all to online classes. A lot of them um, are working full-time jobs. We have only part-time teachers in our program. So a lot of those teachers are also juggling other jobs. Sometimes those other jobs are full-time public school teaching. So that just adds an additional complication to trying to get um, two groups of students up and running online. For Trevi's students at CWI, the challenges existed long before the pandemic changed life for everyone. We don't have public transportation um, systems like some big cities do. So students were already navigating trying to get to face-to-face -face classes, but definitely trying to get into classes with lack of digital access um, is a greater challenge than even what they were facing before. The kind of digital access challenges that they faced before are also just exacerbated now. So one of the biggest um, challenges is access to devices. Many of our students only have smartphones at home, and a lot of times those smartphones are shared with family members, multiple family members, so that's a challenge. Um, a lot of them don't have adequate Wi-Fi access at home. Only about 10% of our students, of our 800 students in the Ada County program, are currently able to access distance learning opportunities that we're offering right now. So we're working on increasing that number, but it's really, really slow just because of that 
challenge with digital access. 10%, only 10% of the 800 students have access to digital devices. Is that? Only 10% have been able to get connected to the online classes that we're offering. So the reasons for them not being able to connect vary. Sometimes that's because they don't have devices. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's because of linguistic accessibility um, for our, our newer speakers of English. Um, sometimes that's due to Wi-Fi access, and a lot of times it's just due to their personal bandwidth because, of course, our students are dealing with the impacts of um, COVID-19 as well. So um, one colleague of mine said it's like there's a sinking ship, and those who had access to digital literacy were able to get in a lifeboat and, and rowed ashore, and those who didn't have it were left to tread water on their own. And I think... You know, as we we look at the lack of digital literacy and access in our our more rural counties, that distance to road ashore is it was already greater. Jerry Rubin of JVS also sees many of the same challenges facing students in the greater Boston area. Somewhere around fifteen to twenty percent of our clients um, lack basic technology for access. Um, they either they don't have a computer, they may not have a smartphone, or they may not have internet access, uh, and those are real challenges. Um, and then um, digital literacy uh, it becomes a challenge as well, particularly for very, very low English language learners. I think digital literacy becomes more difficult. You know, in general, in this country, there's a large percentage of individuals with low digital literacy skills um, that tends to be the the percentage tends to be higher in low-wage industries like service sector. Um, so to what degree is that affecting your ability to serve your clients in this this digital era? It's certainly a challenge. There's no question it's a challenge. But I do think that it, it is important to know that um, the level of familiarity with smartphones is pretty ubiquitous. Uh, it's um, and this is a huge help because uh, many, many, many people um, actually have a reasonably high level of um, smartphone-based digital literacy. Uh, they may not uh, think of it that way, but those are tools that they're using. And a lot of the instructional and coaching tools that we've been standing up over the last few weeks. Um, are usable on a smartphone uh, platform. And that's really, really helpful. And the tools uh, for um, developing um, curriculum and sharing curriculum have just gotten better and more easily accessible uh, just in the recent past. Like literally every day, um, we're developing new um, lesson plans and curricula using, I think at one point I counted 20 different um, sources and platforms that people are drawing on, you know, everything um, from little video snippets to uh, practice sessions that people are developing all, all over the country. I mean, there's just a lot of material out there. And our instructors and coaches are pulling that together and using it to teach. Uh, and and doing that with, with um, many individuals who have very low um, levels of of English uh, literacy, let alone digital literacy. One of the silver linings of this crisis is that the, de- the development of tools that are accessible um, to uh, limited English language learners or 
individuals that may not have a great deal of formal technology experience um, is that we're just being forced to do a lot of experimentation and figuring out what works and doesn't work. And I think we're going to come out of this period um, in a lot stronger place in this area. One of the things that the COVID crisis has really brought to the forefront is the need to be better prepared as a country for disruption, whether that's in terms of our safety net or our digital infrastructure. One, one other thing I did want to say, um, which I think has been a real problem in Massachusetts, and I'm guessing this is going to be a problem in other states, is accessing unemployment insurance benefits has been um, a big challenge, I think, for, for many people who have lost their jobs. The application system itself is overwhelmed. Uh, you know, the online um, application system um, has crashed a number of times just because it's so overwhelmed with applications. Um, there's long uh, waiting wait times for phone assistance. What we're doing is um, providing coaching, particularly for English language learners who um, have had a very, very hard time accessing um, the, the state's unemployment um, system. And so that's an immediate area of, I don't know if I would call it uh, a digital literacy problem, but it's a, um, it's, a, it's a real challenge around access and people need those benefits uh, today. I think that the things that they need now are probably the same things that they needed before. It's just that the need is starkly highlighted now. Here's Trevi Hardy of College of Western Idaho again. So that need really centers on access to quality credentialing. And when I, when I say access, I'm thinking of financial access, certainly, things like paying for credentialing, but also to supportive services that help to mitigate opportunity costs for students. So things like transportation, childcare, or um, financial support to mitigate loss of hours when they're upskilling from a current job. But I do think that we can do more to impact digital literacy and digital access in a way that really moves the needle. Many of our students were already in jobs that were essential for our local economy before. We have a lot of students that are environmental services technicians in our local hospitals and are also certified nurse assistants in the hospital and in local um, care centers. So they are definitely on the front lines um, of COVID-19 response. A lot of students work in manufacturing and food production and in agriculture. So all of those, you know, they're considered essential now, but they were certainly essential to our work, our workforce and our local economy prior to this. Even if we've kind of redefined what essential means, um, they are, they have been essential and will continue to be essential. And we can't, prepare an essential workforce without digital literacy. That's a reality of today's workforce. Um, but we really can't impact digital literacy without equitable access. Um, so that investment needs to be really intentional and significant. We at JBS for the past several years have been focusing on how to take advantage of a very tight job market to increase job quality for our clients. You know, our view was that working people's um, earnings really lagged behind the rem remarkable economic growth period um, that we had been experiencing, you know, and we've moved from record employment to record unemployment. Our immediate focus had to shift from uh, getting people um, better jobs to getting people income right now. 
meaning making sure they can take advantage of unemployment and other benefits like food stamps, um, and also to get them reemployed as quickly as possible. Interestingly, there are employers that are hiring now. Uh, they're kind of counter-cyclical cyclical employers. Uh, you, you can um, imagine um, who they might be in, um, you know, in the in the uh, grocery industry, in the um, remote distribution industries. Um, there uh, are there are actually thousands of jobs uh, that are open, and so we've shifted our focus pretty quickly uh, to uh, reemployment, which is, of course, what we were focusing on in, during the Great Recession. Uh, we're not going to lose sight of the issue of job quality. We can't do that. Um, but it's going to be in a very, very different environment um, and a very different job market for some time to come. I know that the state of Idaho in particular is very tuned into workforce needs and digital literacy is always part of the conversation in terms of workforce development. So I know it's on the radar and I think that the pandemic has highlighted the digital equity divide. I think that we really need more focused investment, um, sustained and focused investment in terms of access. I don't want to downplay this crisis at all because it has certainly been challenging for everyone. But I, I do think that uh, organizations that can approach this kind of crisis with resilience and creativity are going to do really well. I am certain that when we come out of this, which we will, um, we're not going to be the same organization that we were. Um, many of the technologies that we've been implementing, um, many of the tools that we're using to work for our clients, those are technologies and tools that we're going to use going forward. Um, and that's a silver lining um, in a very challenging time. I think the bright spot is just the resilience and the determination of our student population. They are doing everything they can to contribute to our local economy and to keep connected to um, their their personal education. In a lot of cases, their workforce training um, programs have halted or their skills testing has been delayed, but they are staying engaged in every way that they can. And so they are truly an asset to our local economy. And I hope that we can continue to and look at new ways to invest in them um, because they are essential to our economy in many ways. Thank you so much for making time to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. You're very, very welcome. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. It was great. Jerry Rubin is the CEO of Jewish Vocational Service, or JVS, in Boston, Massachusetts. JVS is among the oldest and largest providers of adult education and workforce development services in Greater Boston. Trevi Hardy manages English as a Second Language and Career Pathways programs at College of Western Idaho, which serves 30,000 students in the Southwest region of the state. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rachel Unruh. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time for another in-depth look at Skilled America. 